0: Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're missing out on something with your faith? Do you ever uh, observe other people's experience of the Lord and think, man, I've never, never experienced the Lord in that way? I mean, you want to, but you... You, you feel like you're missing out. You hear people talking about God in ways that you've never experienced. Uh, do, you, do you want a more dynamic, powerful Christian life? Do you, you want something that goes beyond just uh, religious assent or a belief um, in a certain principle about God? Do you want to move at the speed that's greater than you're moving right now in your relationship with God Almighty. Maybe for you it feels a little like uh, you're in your car and you're pressing on the gas, and it's not quite moving like you thought it, you think it should. And you look down and you remember you still have the parking brake on. Has anybody ever done that? Is that just me? You know, that feeling of like, man, I'm giving this thing gas, but it's not quite moving like I know it should. Or maybe that's how you feel in your spiritual life or you're, you're thinking, I want to move at a certain speed, but, but things aren't working quite like I think that they should. Now, there are things that I can tell you to do. There are things that Christian leaders can suggest that will accelerate your faith and give you a sense of taking the parking brake off. Of course, like reading the Bible or being in Christian community, which is where you are now and the value of being together with other believers to encourage one another, to to, um, pray for one another. Uh, there, There are things that we can tell you to do, like read certain books or listen to certain preachers. But of all the things that we see in the Scripture uh, having the greatest impact on people potentially, one leads the rest, and that is prayer. Here in this passage that is written by Paul to this fledgling church in Colossae, Paul tells them he's praying for some things uh, in their lives. And what we see, not only in this passage, but throughout his interactions with the churches that he's trying to encourage, you see, because he wants for them to experience all that God has for them. And just as you're trying to live out your faith in a time, and a culture, in an age where it's difficult to live out the Christian faith, it always has been at some level, and it certainly was in the first century. So Paul wants for them to experience as much as God as they can get, and it's, he wants them to live out their faith in the, as as fast of a pace as God will allow them. And so what he does for them in the beginning of the letter is he offers a prayer for them. And it says a lot about, um, how Paul is thinking spiritually for them and on their behalf and as a leader. So what I want to do is read this passage and then just help you understand what it means. So Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14, stand to your feet as I read this passage, just out of respect for God's word, please. Here's what it says. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless the reading of His word. You may be seated. The absolute, point number one, the absolute most important thing you can do for those you lead is pray. Now, everybody in here leads somebody. Oftentimes we think of like Christian leadership. We think of guys, you think of guys like me, like pastors and maybe home group leaders. Uh, But every one of you has an influence Influencing capacity on someone else, and if you are a follower of Christ, you are a Christian leader of someone else because you represent Christ to them. The most important thing you can do for those people that you're leading is pray. If you have children, that's your very first responsibility. So the very, uh, the very first thing you ought to be thinking about getting better at in their lives is prayer. Paul says here in verse 9, we heard. Well, what has he heard? We read it last week, verses 1 through 8. He's heard about the Colossians, that they have a faith in Jesus Christ and a love for their saints. So they have a bit of a reputation for, for having a vibrant spiritual life. And Paul says, we've heard that. I don't want to just leave it there. This is one reason when we get together, uh, I want to encourage you, but I also want to say, you know what, I want to see you grow in your spiritual life. Because if all I did was go, hey, good job, you might walk away and go, okay, I've kind of arrived. But what Paul wants for the Colossians is for them to experience more of God. So he says, I have not ceased. Now, in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul talks about him praying in the morning and at night for the churches that he's been a part of planting or or been a part of leading and been a part of ministering to. This is pretty incredible. So Paul prays in the morning and at night for those that he has influence over. Maybe a good example for those of us as we uh, think about who are we leading spiritually. Um, Now, here's the thing about prayer. If I said to you, uh, how's your prayer life? You would say, well, most everybody would say, you know, I, I could do more. And, and the thing about prayer, as with other things in the Christian life, is uh, that if we allow our feelings, like, if you only pray when you feel like praying, then you're not going to pray very often, right? And our feelings, we, we live in a day and a time where we, we're kind of, is, if, you, if it feels good, do it. Well, this is the thing about uh, being disciplined spiritually, is there are times when Spiritual disciplines aren't about feeling, they're about work and doing the hard work, particularly of praying. We must be disciplined in this area of prayer. I am sure that Paul, the apostle, did not want to get up in the morning and pray or stop before he went to sleep in the evening and pray. It's a hard work, but he did it. Why? Because he wanted the people that he led to experience something different or more than what they've already experienced. And I want you to know right from the beginning, as I've studied this passage, I've been very, very, very convicted about the amount that I pray for you. And so I'm, I'm going to uh, be even try to be more disciplined in just praying for you in the morning and at night and uh, by name uh, throughout the month. And so it's a hard work. We don't always pray for our kids. We can't wait till we feel like praying for our kids to do it, right? Because there are some times I don't want to think about my kids once they've gone to bed. Um... So we must pray for those that we lead. Now, what we're praying for is a knowledge, Paul says. And I want you to know that the knowledge that we really need comes from God and can only be put deep within us by God. Now, there's a lot of smart people in this room, and you're acquiring knowledge through study. But this kind of knowledge that I'm talking about is the kind that Paul describes as being a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There, it's in the passage, you see it. So this idea of being knowledgeable uh, in, in spiritual wisdom. It, it's a practical knowledge that comes only from God. It, it's how to think about things in this life in a way that you can only think about them through God's power, God's gifting to you to think about them. Uh, this idea of understanding, it's, a, it's being able to clearly analyze the things that are around you and make decisions that are honoring to God. Now, you might ask, where where does this kind of knowledge come from? And Paul's praying that they would receive this special knowledge. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Spirit of God. And what I want to communicate to you is that God has to do something supernatural In you. It comes from the Spirit of God working in you through the study primarily of God's Word. Now, this isn't the kind of knowledge. Oftentimes we, God, I want you to tell me what to do. It's not like, God, should I buy this blue shirt or should I buy this red shirt? Should I go to this school? Should I go to that school? And that's oftentimes the kind of space that we have that conversation with and we want knowledge from God. But I think there's something larger going on here. Paul wants them to have this special knowledge deep within them, so that they can know how to live a life that pleases God. Godly knowledge teaches what a dynamic spiritual life looks like. You see, one reason that some of you are not experiencing uh, the kind of faith that you would like to experience is because you're spending a lot of energy in other directions than in the kind of life that is fully pleasing to God. Godly knowledge teaches what a dynamic spiritual life looks like so that we can know how to live a life fully pleasing to him. Now, here's something that's very important you should understand. Once you uh, are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's only son, this is maybe really important for those of you guys that were just baptized, uh, there there, there will never be a day when you're not God's child. You'll always be God's child. If, If that truly happened in you, There is truly a change in you. You heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You recognize that your sin separates you from Christ and you acknowledge and in faith, believe that Jesus died for your sin. That happened in you. There will never be a day when you're not a child of God. That's a really wonderful thing. Beyond that, there are ways to live a life that's pleasing to him and to live a life that's not pleasing to him. There are believers living lives that are not pleasing to God. And what Paul wants for this Colossians is he wants them to live a life that's pleasing to God. Do you? Well, I hope so. So uh, do you see there um, in verse 10? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him in every good way. So there's four things that are set apart by participles for the nerds in the room. Um, and a participle is a verbal adjective. So um, there are four things that Paul says that, um, that help us to know how to live a life pleasing to God. So Paul's praying these things for them, but in a sense, he's also telling them these are things that you ought to be thinking about or pursuing with the knowledge that you have so that you can live a life pleasing to God. The first one is this. The first one is bearing fruit in every good work. In verse 10, you see that? You're supposed to live the kind of faith that bears fruit. And we could talk about the kind of fruit that you're supposed to bear in this way. Goodness, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Your, your life is supposed to bear the fruit of the Spirit working in your life. If there is no fruit in your life, it means that you do not have the Spirit working in your life. If you do not have the Spirit working in your life, it means that God is not uh, in your life. Paul wants for them to have lives where they're bearing fruit in every good work. Do you know that the Scriptures say that whenever you are saved, no, in fact, before you were even born, God set you apart and, and has some good works for you to do. God has a purpose for your life, some good works. And for the Christian, those good works uh, look like you're bearing fruit, spiritual fruit. You're going to look like Christ more and more and more to those around you. That's what it looks like to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, what you ought to do is think, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Have I truly acknowledged my sin before God, repented of it, placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Have I been changed? Have I truly been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ? That's the first thing. The first uh, point in how you can look like Christ. The second one is this, increasing in the knowledge of God. Are there any like students in here you'd like to learn? Raise your hand if you if you'd like to learn. Mary, thank you, one. Okay, very good, all right. Uh, Mary and Tim, okay, okay. Um, so, so I, I like to learn. I, I like to go, go to school. Um, and, uh, and, and so maybe you understand. It's like he wants for the Colossians, for their understanding of who God is, for that, that deep revelation of who God is to become greater and greater and greater and greater. Did you know, surveys have been done and the average Christian has the theological knowledge of what they learned when they were 13 years old. So once you get 13, in the average Christian's life, in the average church, people do not learn any more than that. And so we wonder why when people get, teenagers get into college, they walk away from God, or why we have 30-year-olds, 35-years-old, 40-year-old who claim the name of Christ, but their faith is so small and morally they're totally out of bounds. We wonder why these things happen. What Paul is saying for the Colossians is he wants for their knowledge of who God is to increase. Now, uh, this is an important point. Paul is dealing with an issue in Colossae. And there was a false teaching, and we're gonna see more of it throughout the series, but the false teaching was this, that only a few people, a few special people could have this special knowledge of God. It's called, it's an early form of Gnosticism is what it's called, and the word Gnostic is related to the word knowledge. So what Paul is doing here and saying that he wants for you to have an increased knowledge of God, and you might think, well, only some people can know God in that way. And so you 're maybe insecure about your about God, so maybe you think well only only some really smart people the, the two people that like to learn in here can have this kind of knowledge of god where where their lives are vibrant and they're bearing fruit, and it's fully pleasing to him and and uh, it's it's like they they're, they're, they're motoring along without the parking brake on it. And so you might be thinking, well, that's only for really smart people. And I want you to know that if you have the Spirit of God in you, you can be increasing in the knowledge of God. There are ways that here, I believe that you can increase the knowledge of God. First of all, you have to know your own learning style. Most of you would benefit from taking notes. If I met you an hour after this service and I said, do you name one thing I said in the service Not being mean, but you you w- wouldn't be able to see. We have at our disposal information so quickly and so easily. I, I think it's dumbed us down. We, our capacity to memorize things. I mean, I cannot. When I was a, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, I had so many phone numbers memorized. Now, I, could, I have to think twice to even tell somebody my own, right? This, this device right here, which tells me everybody's phone number, I've got like 2,000 phone numbers in there, um, th- they... It's kept, it's it's dumbed down my brain and my ability to memorize. I mean, I cannot get home without the map on this thing. You, you know what I mean? And, and so, what I'm saying to you is this: If you want to increase in the knowledge of God, it's not going to just happen. I mean, you you must be intentional and purposeful. I really believe you must approach even a setting like this, one 30 minute period a week, where you're hearing God's word open, line by line taught to you, you must approach that as if it's in preparation for a big test coming up. What if every Monday you sat down with Jesus face to face and he said to you, what was the sermon about on Sunday? What is the truth of my word that's been shared with you? How many of you would pass? So as we think about increasing the knowledge of God, and certainly it happens when God's spirit works, and I'm going to pray that you would increase the knowledge of God and you'd understand God more fully, but it, we participate in that, right? We participate in our own spiritual growth. And oftentimes what happens, what determines whether or not somebody comes back to the next Sunday is if, if the feel, the kind of overall feel of the sermon and the music was good enough to compel them to come back. Rather than, man, I am learning God's word. Let me tell you this. I believe with everything in me, the most important thing we do is teach you God's word. I believe that the truths are like seeds, that if I could just sow these seeds deep in your heart, that they, if they take root, will begin to birth something incredible, dynamic, deeply spiritual, and used by God in our world. Paul wants them to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, which looks like bearing fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God. Thirdly, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You see that in verse 11? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, I ought to point out, look there in the verse, there's three words that communicate power and strength. Uh, They are are strength, power, and might. Uh, So this this verse and the way that Paul says it, he wants to to give you a sense of like punch. He wants for people to live strong for the Lord. And you need to be able to live strong for the Lord. You need to be able to gain strength and power and might for you to live out your faith in the workplace. For you to be bold and speak up when somebody is saying something that's not true about God Almighty. For you to be bold and speak up when you see an opportunity for the good news of Jesus Christ to be shared. You need to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you can have, according to Paul, to the Colossians, endurance and patience. This is is what strength gives to us, endurance and patience. This idea of endurance implies that we do not easily uh, give up. When things get difficult. Do you easily give up when things get difficult? Then you need more of God's power in you. And that kind of a life is pleasing to him. This idea of patience that Paul mentions here, it uh, means um, self-restraint. You don't easily retaliate. That, that's a type of strength also, right? Knowing when to stand up, when to shout, when other people are shouting on behalf of their moral position. Endurance and patience. A lack of endurance results in despondency. You know what that is? It means like losing heart. Do you lose heart in your faith? Are you feeling discouraged because you've shared Christ with people and they've not responded? Are you, do you feel like giving up? You need to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is what I'm going to pray for you. Do you see somebody in your life who is despondent or losing heart in the Christian faith? Lawton, one of the most important things that you and Chrissy can do for these young men is to pray for them so that they don't become despondent or lose heart. Parents, one of the most important things that you can do for those that are your biological children is to to pray for them so that they don't give up in their faith. Maybe your spouse is feeling weary. Do you pray for him? Do you pray for her? Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Fourthly, giving thanks to the Father. These are four things that describe what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, this idea of thanks, it's actually, uh, there's this idea of being thankful to God is, is five or six times throughout this letter in different ways. And he centers uh, their understanding of why they ought to live with thanksgiving on this truth that, that God has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you see that in verse 12? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It sounds kind of funny, right? Well, when you when you think light, we see light. Think like the what is what is around you when you're no longer in the in the domain of darkness. When, no, when you're no longer captive to the enemy, spiritually speaking. So we ought to thank God that we have been delivered from this realm where darkness reigns and where sin reigns and where we cannot free ourselves from sin. We've been delivered from that, all those that are in Jesus Christ, to this, to this place where, where it's called the kingdom of his beloved son. It's a place of light and hope and promise. So we ought to live with thanksgiving because uh, in and of ourselves, we're unfit, but God makes us fit through Jesus Christ, through what God has done in our life with the power of Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome. Through Christ, we're brought from a rebel kingdom and placed under the sovereignty of a rightful king. These four things Paul wants for them, these four areas that he wants their lives to look like. So he prays it for them. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray like this for the people that you lead? Now, men, you are the leader of your home. Do you pray like this for your wife? Parents, you are the leader of your children. Do you pray like this for your kids? Do you pray like this for those people that you have influence over spiritually at your work? Do you pray like this uh, for those that are your friends that you influence spiritually? And oftentimes in good relationships, Christian community, we influence each other. But do you pray like this for your college roommate or uh, your friends that you hang out with every every few weeks? This is some robust deep, important kind of praying. And here's what we're admitting in praying like this, is that I cannot give this to them. They cannot get this for themselves. And so we need God to work in our lives. You see, this is the kind of vibrant spiritual life that will make you feel like you're motoring along at just the right speed. There's a lot of things that I could tell you that you ought to, to be doing to encourage those that you lead spiritually or influence spiritually. But the most important thing is prayer. So practically, I think what you could do is, is make up a list of people that you're praying for. Very few of us have the capacity to remember and to be disciplined in praying for those people by name without making lists. And I know it's a little bit of effort to make a list. And many of you, have jobs where you're having to make lists and all that kind of stuff all the time so it's like oh one more thing but can I just suggest to you that this is the most important thing make a list of maybe up to 12 people we'll keep the number kind of like Jesus and his disciples and then just choose one person each day to pray for make a list and pray for them you say well what am I supposed to pray here's what you can pray Pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they can walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord, or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. Pray that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the lions. Because they have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I challenge you to pray for those that you lead. This is a very practical, very simple challenge for the day. Now, here, here's the, here's the thing about prayer. We, we live in a, in a day, in a time where, I mentioned this last week, I, I think in our lifetime uh, it will become illegal, I, I don't know, I, I'm not an American story, and I, there are others in here that are way smarter than this than me, but I think it would become at some point considered hateful to stand up and say, Jesus is the only way to God, Um. There are places in our country where atheists or people that believe there is no God are um, really, really making effort to to declare their their gospel, little g, that there is no God. Uh, In North Florida, I read an article about this monument that was set up by the atheist. And uh, here's what part of the monument says. It says, and it's, by the way, right next to a monument that has the Ten Commandments on it says the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. So this atheist group wants to uh, begin propagating their own gospel, that there, there is, you know, to them, the good news is, hey, there is no God. And uh, so I'm not sure what will happen. I'm not sure what the future looks like. But here's one thing I know of. No one can ever make it illegal for you to pray. And once God's spirit begins working in your life, and the lives of those around you, what comes out of that, the fruit that's born, that will never be made illegal. I mean, you might die for your faith. Happens all over the world. But no one can ever keep you from praying. So let's learn how to do it so we can live out our faith in a way that is accelerated and powerful and dynamic. Will you do that? It's a very simple challenge. Make a list of a few people to pray for and then pray this for them. So um, I've said list 12 names and pray for them once a month. How about we scale it down and list seven names and pray for somebody for the next seven days, all right? How about that? Let's pray together.